0: Welcome to episode 23 of the BM Cast. Not a podcast that obnoxiously flicks and shuffles our cards while recording, but the show about playing Magic the Gathering on a budget. I'm Scott and I'm joined by the venerated Luxodon herself, Emma. How are you doing this week?
1: I am really tired, I'm going to be honest. I've had a very busy week juggling writing, command fest, and, you know, general life mm. in all that. So, being a bit tired. But yeah, so I took part in Command Fest, hosted by the lovely people at Channel Fireball. Mm. Played a couple of games of Commander. I also took part in the Battle of Wits quiz, which we have been contestants on previously. Yeah. Hosted by Max Makes Magic, which recommend checking out. It's a great show. Yeah, and it was good fun. And I've now got some beef with uh, a former guest on the show, actually, in Angelo. Because uh, mm. he did pretty well. And I feel like there's some revenge that is due. Oh. So... But yeah, if you want to check any of the games or uh, the, the Battle of Wits quiz, you can see it on Channel Fireball's Twitch. Nice. Also, my big Pioneer Primer article went up today. So we're recording on a Sunday. It went live this morning. Sweet. I recommend reading that over at TCG Player. If you're curious about Pioneer but have no clue where to start or want to know what it's about, I recommend reading it because it will give you a good footing into the format. But yeah, that's pretty much it. Outside that, i picked up some Commander Legends cards from my pulpit EDH deck in, with Soul Herder. So I picked up some Fall from Favors mm. and some Azure Fleet Admirals, because those cards are really good in a deck that likes to blink a lot.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'd imagine so. How
1: about you?
0: <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm okay now. Basically, a few weeks ago, Wizards of the Coast approached me and asked me to make a video on playing Commander and why it's so unique and fun, and it was tough. It was very tough. Not for the subject matter itself. It's easy to talk about why is great, but... I just had constant PC issues the entire time. It nearly died on me about a dozen times. But uh, oh dear. yeah, yeah, it did somehow pull through in the end. So I can still edit the, the podcast on a weekly basis. That's still fine. But if you do want to check the video out, it is live on my YouTube channel. The link I'll put in the description for the episode. I added a few Easter eggs to anyone with a sharp eye, if that's your kind of thing. So keep an eye out. Ooh. Outside of content, though, I've been playing with some friends, doing some commander. And I've upgraded a couple of decks. I now have my AZ Tyrant of Jar Strait upgraded. It's now big, simic, ramp, super stompy, sea creature thing. It's fun. Nice. It's good fun. And
1: Was it difficult to upgrade? No. I hear Simic cards make it quite easy to upgrade decks.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's quite easy. Just because
1: of the power level? Quite
0: easy to upgrade, not going to lie. Um, especially considering, yeah. like, I know you're making jokes about Simic, like, being like, I'll just stuff it full of good cards or whatever. But the thing with this deck, if you're going, like, in a Simic kind of sea creatures kind of theme, you would think, oh, I'm going to have to go get loads of sea creatures that, like, you wouldn't normally see in decks like this. But no, this is already, like, full of sea creatures. Like, you just have to get like one or two to add to it to upgrade it. Yes. You'll see a similar list to what I did uh, over on Card Kingdom. I did an article a couple of weeks back on upgrading the, the precon. I think i mentioned it before, but mm. yeah, you can get ideas from there. Not that you really need much of a suggestion on how to upgrade a Simic deck, it's just add the more expensive blue and green cards, you know? Okay. But outside of that, I have been making a Brawlin and Shabraz wheels deck out of my Gavi Ness Warden precon, mm. which has been absolute gas in both the American and the Irish term.
1: What's the Irish Anyone term? Anyone that
0: doesn't know, by the way, Americans tend to use the term gas, like gasoline, like that's fuel, like that's, that's straight fire. It's yeah. great. Uh, gas in Ireland means funny, like hilarious. Like it comes from laughing yeah, gas. Okay. Like that's gas. That actually means it's funny. It's not, that's amazing. It, you'd be surprised how often they can correlate and be fine. But yes, outside of magic though, I am back in on Genshin Impact now. I put it down for a few weeks because I just wasn't really feeling the whole open world roamy about kind of thing, but I'm back in now and I'm still free to play, which is pretty amazing considering I've about 60 hours in the game now at this point point. and I still feel like I'm making good ground, I still feel like I can grind and level up to achieve certain goals and things without actually having to put money in, like I think I mentioned this before, money you'd be putting into the game normally is to get different characters or get unique weapons or whatever, but you don't actually need them a lot of it is like an aesthetics thing or you know like you might want to get a specific character that's part of a quest or something and you want them in your team or whatever like outside of that it's essentially just breath of the wild with an anime skin like is quite good (laughs) but yeah that's been me not a whole lot of content-based stuff this week essentially but a whole lot of little bits and bobs
1: i'm kind of jealous to be honest i'd love to have a break like another one it's like i had a break Back into mm. it like hundred percent. It feels like there's no middle ground. It's either zero percent or hundred percent. I just want the fifty. Just <laughs> plod along.
0: Well, this is the thing. I, despite having sort of taken a break this week, I don't feel like I've taken a break at all. Mm. And I'm about to go now after recording this to edit this and then work on my next article. And I'm just back into it. You know, <laughs> it feels yeah, like it it's never a loop.
1: As we mentioned last week, yeah, we, a, we did a good episode last week about this. Yeah,
0: maybe I should actually go back and have a listen to it and heed my own words for a change go go and take an actual so that's actual why break.
1: we recorded it not not for other people but just to remind ourselves it's advice for us yeah. got it yeah.
0: that's it <laughs> all right have we got any housekeeping this week emma
1: we do so we would like to give a huge thank you to bradley rose who Ooh. is the latest patron of our cheering fanatic tier so thank you very much Bradley. thank you good friend of the show So Bradley Rose is a writer at Card Kingdom who looks at magic from a design perspective. If you're interested in like the theory crafting and like the design aspect of magic, feel free to follow him over at Twitter at Bradley Rose. He's a good egg.
0: Yes, good egg indeed. And Bradley is also a co-host over on Beacon of Creation podcast as well, where they talk about magic design and everything there too. You can listen to that on Spotify and probably most other places you can get your podcast as well. So it's good stuff. Have a good listen.
1: Thank you again, Bradley. Means a lot. Yes.
0: If you enjoy the BM Cast and would like to support them, you can become a patron for as little as $3. You'll get access to all of the notes and deck lists they use on the show, and their $7 tier gives you VIP access to the greatest budget resources of any magic podcast. So what are you waiting for? Visit patreon.com forward slash budgetmagiccast to level up your game and get your stonks on.
1: So what are we talking about this week, Scott? I believe we've got something new on the table.
0: Yes, we do indeed. We had sent out a survey questionnaire of sorts to our patrons, ...to try and get an understanding as to what we're doing well, what we need to improve on and what we could do in future. And one of the suggestions was to go a little bit more in-depth on different deck archetypes and how to play them and that kind of thing. So, this is the first episode of Modern Highlights. This is where we talk about an affordable deck archetype in modern, usually something off-meta or unusual or interesting and dive into the details, sort of run a profile of the deck, like what makes the deck work, how to build it, how to play it, and offer any kind of tips and tricks that we have to pilot it, to sort of let you hit the ground running if you're going to decide to pick up the deck. So, a couple of weeks back, we were talking about our top three favourite budget decks pretty much ever, I believe it was? Yes, ever. The one that was weird for me was, uh, I said Martyr Proc. Martyr Rock, obviously, if you don't know what it is, it's a control deck, essentially, that uses quite a few creatures. It looks to grind out through attrition, and it does that by gaining life, by having some form of recursion, and by having unorthodox forms of card advantage, which we'll go into a little bit. The reason it's very weird for me to have said this is because, well, it's mono-white, it is creature-heavy, and it's very grindy. If I'm going to be interactive, it's going to be tempo-oriented, and if I'm going to be non-interactive, which is most of the time, it's going to be just straight-up combo decks. So this is a huge departure for me. This would, if anything, would be closer to the kind of deck that you would play, Emma.
1: Yes, white is my favourite colour in Magic. If there's nothing more I love, is playing with white X-1s. Are the Tables of Sand?
0: Mm, absolutely. So this is the one we're going to jump into today to give a little background of the deck it started as a standard deck soul sisters essentially back in 2011 brought to the forefront by i believe camly woods was it
1: yes so a lot of the cards that feature in the deck were standard legal and once that deck rotated out it just transferred into modern and as modern has a wider card pool it transferred over quite easily
0: yes so the deck's name mardaproc after it became a modern deck and evolved a few times and so on and went away from the etb gain life triggers and stuff it became like we said murder proc and that name comes from two cards martyr of sands and proclamation of rebirth martyr of sands it's one white mana for a 1-1 human cleric and you can pay one and reveal x white cards from your hand and sacrifice martyr of sands to gain three times x life So this is like a multi-healing salve, in a sense, where you can just gain a shed load of life. Normally, you say, play this on turn two, sacrifice it immediately, reveal your entire hand, gain like 18 life, and then your opponent's like, well, what am I supposed to do against that now? Especially if they're a burn player. And the other card is Proclamation of Rebirth, which is two and a white for a sorcery. Return up to three target creature cards with converted mana cost one or less from your graveyard to play. It's kind of like a mini triple unearth, in a sense. It's really strange because it only gets back teeny tiny creatures. But if you're playing stuff like Martyr of Sands, which sacrifices to gain an absolute load of life, and then you go and bring them back again, you can see how this starts to sort of attrition. But it also has forecast, which you pay the forecast cost. In this case, it's five and a white. And you reveal Proclamation of Rebirth from your hand. And you return target creature card with converted mana cost one or less from your graveyard to play. And you can play that ability only during your upkeep and only once per turn. So it's kind of like a super mini Emyria, the Sky Ruin kind of effect, sort of, because you need roughly the same amount of lands to be able to do mm-hmm. it as you would Emyria, and it happens in your upkeep, and it's only a super tiny creature. So as you can tell, this feels like it's really, really clunky, and that's because it is. It's really not great. However, there is now a new version of this deck that has been updated to include Luris, not as a companion, but as a three of in the main deck. So, let's run through the key cards in the deck. first one that we were talking about there, like we said, Lurus of the Dream Den. Kind of works like Proclamation of Rebirth, except it's CMC 2 or less. Not that that matters a whole lot in this build in particular. But it allows you to recur the Murder of Sands over and over again. So you can play Murder of Sands, sacrifice it, reveal a load of cards, gain life, and then play Lurus, and then play that Murder of Sands and sacrifice it again. And you just, every turn, you can be gaining 12, 18 life, like crazy amount of life. And because Mishra's Bauble works so well with Luris, well, we just have four Mishra's Bauble in here now as well.
1: They're pretty much free in the deck, right? And yeah. another neat thing about Luris is that he also has lifelink. So mm. if you want to attack with Luris, you can do. You can gain even more life and make your opponent really sad because they can't put you to zero.
0: Yeah. And what this deck looks to do against certain matchups is potentially even soft softlock. And it can do that using stuff like Kami of False Hope, which is one white mana for a 1-1 spirit. And you can sacrifice it to prevent all combat damage that would be dealt this turn. So you have a fog on a stick that you can bring back every single turn with Lurus. If your opponent is combat focused, the deck just can't win unless they answer this in some way. Usually kill the Luris, And you can also do this with other stuff as well, like Hope of Girapur. Whenever it deals combat damage, you can sacrifice it and prevent them from casting non-creature spells. You can then bring that back with Luris on the same turn and then attack with it the following turn and just continue that loop. And they're basically locked out of casting spells. You know, you can do all this kind of lock stuff, but it's really, really good against grindy decks as well, because you can keep bringing stuff back, like, say, a favorite of ours, I know, Thraben Inspector. You can keep getting more clues, keep bringing it back. You can even bring back uh, Selfless Savior, if you want, to protect Larus over and over again. It's just, oh, Lurrus is crazy in this deck. It's such a powerful upgrade to what was admittedly an extremely fringe strategy at this point. Yeah.
1: With Marta proc, there are a couple of key cards you want to consider to build the deck. And the main one is Ranger of Eos. So Ranger of Eos is a four mana free 2. So for free generic and a white, you get a human soldier that reads, When Ranger of Eos enters the battlefield, you may search your library for up to 2 creature cards, with cover mana cost 1 or less, reveal them, put them into your hand, and if you do, shuffle your library. So this is a really great way to get any toolbox creatures that are in the deck, or your Martyr of sand so you can start gaining loads of life. Another popular way to use Ranger of Eos is to get a in ballista as a way mm. just to clear the board or to finish off your opponent. It's an extremely versatile card and also it can hold up well in combat because it is a free two. So mm. a lot of the time it can trade really well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. If you can afford Ranger Captain of Eos, that is pretty good too. Especially if you have more sort of combo or spell-based things in the metagame because you're able to sacrifice it to prevent them from casting non-creature spells and stuff. Granted, you can't get it back with Luris, but still good
1: you can get it back within the emiria though and so you can do that little loop as well which is pretty neat but yeah the card's fantastic it's a very versatile card
0: yeah at its core this is kind of a toolbox deck because of ranger of eos or ranger captain whichever one you're running you have so many different options like if your opponents are running things with lots of counters let's say there's lots of hardened scales or planeswalkers one of your favorite cards emma hex parasite you can just play that (laughs) Remove a bunch of counters from opposing permanents. Destroy Planeswalkers in no time at all.
1: You can also destroy Gemstone Mines against Amulet Titan, which is my favourite play.
0: That is pretty good, actually, yeah. I keep forgetting, that's a thing.
1: So do my Amulet Titan players, it's great.
0: (laughs) There has been another recent addition in the form of removal that you can get with Ranger of Eos, and that is Giant Killer.
1: I really like this addition.
0: I have this in my build here. The list is going to be available to our patrons. And this Giant Killer is really really good against Ganglers, against Uro, against Omnath, against Death Shadow, against anything in like Prowess decks where they've cast a spell or two. So like Sprite Dragon or if it's even mono-red Prowess, like Soulscar Mage and that kind of thing. Destroy target creature with a power of four or greater is surprisingly relevant. And then if it actually hits the table as a creature, being able to forever tap down like a Death Shadow or something is gross like they have to then deal with this in order to be able to unlock a threat
1: yeah tapping down a primeval titan seems really good just given the attack trigger so it stops them getting yeah. lands and stuff like that which seems pretty big as well yeah I really yeah. like this as just like as a one off sort of addition it's really really neat yeah,
0: it's really really good and you've got all sorts of things that you can add here as well like we've mentioned a bunch of them but you can also run even like weathered wayfarer against decks that are running lots of lands so say like the money piles and stuff they're obviously going to be playing with more lands than you almost always so mm. not saying it's going to be a fun or a good time against the money piles because the majority of decks just can't really deal with them. But you'll at least be able to constantly hit your land drop so that you can do multiple things in a turn, which would be relevant. But in terms of removal, you then have four Path to Exile, two Day of Judgment. It might seem like this is a list running 26 creatures. Why are you running Board Wipes? It's because you can recur so many of them so often that it kind of doesn't care. It's like, whatever, I'll run two Board Wipes. And then it's also got one Winds of Abandon because I just like it. I think it's really, really good. The
1: card is really good. It's flexible removal is really, Mm -hmm. really good. And like a lot of the time, if I recall, a lot of old Marta props this run, Declaration of Stone, as path five to eight. But this is just so much better because it can just clear everything. And Modern doesn't really run that many basics. So a lot of the time, it's just going to be an upside.
0: For sure. That's why in the mana base, you'll find there's two Ghost Quarters and four Field of Ruins. Which are really, really nice for disrupting mana bases, particularly in the likes of Death Shadow and Money Piles. The other key card is Emeria the Sky Ruin. There's not a whole lot to say about this, to be perfectly honest. It's more just Lurus can recur the things that have died. Ranger of Eos can go and get more things for you to play. But what happens if either of those are dealt with? You use Emeria you can get them back. So that helps to continue the cycle.
1: Yeah, it just brings stuff back. Yeah. It used to be quite popular with Sun Titan, which I believe was an old mm. old tech in Martyr Proc as well.
0: Yeah, that used to be run for a good while, to be fair. But people eventually just went... Should we just run Lurus? Like, Lurus seems broken.
1: Lurus is just so much better, right? <laughs> it's, just,
0: it's basically taking all of the mediocre to bad cards and just saying this is just a better option in almost every sense. So
1: The power creep is real.
0: I'm okay with getting to run the Nightmare Kitty. It's a lot of fun to play with.
1: I remember playing it in Bogles before the Erata, so it was a good time. Mm,
0: yeah, gross. Mm, stuff like that that makes me glad of the errata, to be honest. <laughs> Now, when it comes to playing this deck, there are some cards that you need to be very, very careful of and beware of. The number one, to me anyway, is Anger of the Gods. Well, hold on a second, Scott. Why are you saying that this sweeper is bad when Day of Judgment is in the deck? It's because it exiles. All of your little creatures that should be hit in the bin are now gone forever. So that Lurus that you're going to play is now just a 3 mana 3-2 with lifelink. And that is really, really bad. Burton Forge Tender is the pro-red creature of choice in this deck, in the sideboard, because it deals with Anger of the Gods beautifully. And it's a one-drop that can be tutored up with of Ravillas. It's a nice little synergy. Also, it sacrifices, which means that you can recur at every turn with Luris. So synergy is what really gets this deck together. Another card that absolutely wrecks your day, but thankfully isn't really seeing any play at all and hasn't for about two years, is Knight of Souls Betrayal. It's the four mana enchantment from Kamigawa that says all creatures get minus one, minus one. Spoiler alert, nearly all your creatures are one ones.
1: Another one that's really, really good that is seeing quite a lot of play is Plague Engineer, which is the better version of Knights of Soul
0: Betrayal. Yeah, yeah, honestly it is. (laughs) A lot of the creatures in your deck are human, so Plague Engineer will hit it. And one thing that's worth noting, I know we haven't talked about it yet, but one of the forms of card advantage in this deck, Squadron Hawk. I know, I know. I'm talking about playing Squadron Hawk in 2020. Everybody, I know. Shut up and bear with me, right? Because the thing is, if you're talking about playing the top tables, like I've said before, I don't even know why you're listening to this. You need to be going and listening to some like spiky podcast or something. Squadron Hawk is actually not as bad as everybody says it is. It's really not. If you have a lot of like mid-range decks in your metagame, Squadron Hawk's insane. Against Death Shadow? Have you ever played a Squadron Hawk against Death Shadow? <laughs> they drop themselves to like six life and then you drop two birds and you go, Yeah, I've got two more in the tank, baby. And they're like, I'm dead. I'm dead. I can't win. <laughs> like, yeah. it's hilarious. Cannot beat one ones that fly. Well, they can with Plague Engineer. They name bird, they kill the birds. So make sure that you can deal with it. Now thankfully. You have seven very nice pieces of removal that will have no problem in dealing with it. So it's not the worst, but it is worth remembering and don't commit too hard if you feel that they might have one. <laughs> There's Gear up or Aether Grid as well.
1: Doesn't see a lot of play now, does it? Because Affinities it's no. better days.
0: Yeah, it saw a lot more play when Urza was more of a thing, mm. but Urza is not really a thing. So it's not really showing up like at all, but it is worth knowing that it exists if you're playing against an artifact heavy deck that, it could be a cyborg option. And then, finally, another card to be aware of is, to no surprise, Lavadart. It will kill two of your creatures. It's not quite a two-for-one because they'll be down a mountain, but...
1: Yeah, you lose a mountain, but they deal with two of your threats, so... Yeah,
0: absolutely. Now, let's talk about the good matchups. Well, you're a life-game deck, so to no surprise... Burn is a walk in the park. Free win. <laughs> it's, a walk. it's a free win. Weirdly, it used to be better because there used to be more life gain in the deck. Now you're leaning pretty heavily on Martyr of Sands, but that's nothing new. As long as you're just holding the Martyr of Sands for turn two so that you can play and sacrifice it in the same turn, you're fine. Never play it on turn one because they'll just bolt it and they get on with their day, you know, so... Yeah
1: burn will try and just be aggressive so you need to sandbag your martyr sands so Mm. you can actually just get some value off it
0: i would probably play it sooner than later just to make sure that you have more cards in hand to reveal so you gain more life but that's another thing that squadron hawk is really really good at if you say Mm. turn two squadron hawk get three more and like have your hand nice and full and then play a martyr that's even more life gain that's fantastic similarly dredge very good matchup you're running path to exile you've got an absolute boatload of life gain you have ways to block and trade with the Archimedes in the air or the creatures on the ground. There's just so many different ways to ruin their day. You have a good time against that. Similarly, traditional mid-range decks. Once you're familiar with both your deck, your opponent's deck, and the format in general, then it should be a reasonable matchup for you. Because, like that, you should be able to grind through. You'll know when to and when not to play your Lurises or your... Don't expose your Emiria too soon or your Misfail planes, that kind of thing. Now... What about bad matchups?
1: So, as someone who plays a lot of Tron... I really like my Marta prop matchup. I think (laughs) it's very close to just a free win just because the threat density in Tron is so much higher and Ugin, minus one, clear your board. It's just so good.
0: Yeah, definitely would not consider this if Tron is a very known quantity in your metagame. Probably wouldn't be a great call, but yeah, not super fantastic.
1: Plus Tron can attack on an axis that doesn't involve dealing damage because you get the Ulamog trigger as well. Just exile, which hurts your recursion plan.
0: Yeah, for sure. There's just so much exile so many Planeswalkers which this deck generally has a bit of a problem dealing with mm. with the exception of Hex Parasite obviously but it's a really really rough matchup it's one of the worst I'd say.
1: Yeah and then interestingly I didn't realize this was such a bad matchup but Storm.
0: It's real bad real real bad particularly Twiddle Storm because you can't path anything at least with Gift Storm you can path Baral or Goblin Electromancer you can't do anything against Twiddlestorm. Storm it just sits yeah. there and you die that's it. Uh, you
1: beat like a soul sisters player on storm when they're on like 40 life or something ridiculous like that
0: they were over 100 life yes and i was playing even more ridiculous yeah yeah yeah. i don't think i've run into so many grape shots in my life but yeah (laughs) it's really not a bad matchup from the storm side at all now i will say the more I think about it, the more I think it's kind of equal between Gift Storm and Twiddlestorm, because Gift Storm has the ability, like I said, to remand Grape Shots to get up to super high amounts of damage, but Twiddlestorm Storm doesn't have that. It has kind of a more finite ceiling in terms of damage particularly if you're only running the one grape shot in the main because that means you need to be able to go off and then grape shot and then go off again from your graveyard and grape shot again you might only be able to get up to like 50 or 60 damage which sounds like it's an awful lot but if you have recurred a martyr proc like four times that's nothing storm can be dodgy post board though damping sphere good card great card mm-hmm. you
1: can also run some ley on sanctities I guess if you're really really hurting against those kind of decks three or four copies on the sideboard might be quite good if you know you anticipate just loads of storm or just anything that targets you as the player
0: yeah same with Deafening Silence is actually very Ooh, good in this uh, deck because you're running mostly creatures great card yeah. it's more asymmetrical than usual which is nice mm.
1: And then lastly, another particularly bad matchup is the infinite combo deck. So we're talking mm. about Devoted Devastation, the Eldamry Core, cool, Walking Ballista, Helio combo style decks. Because more often than not, they can just do more damage than you. And you only have so much life. Yeah. It just doesn't feel great.
0: Yeah. So it's kind of a bit of a distinction on the infinite combo. So if it's infinite damage yet, yeah, like you can gain 100, 200 life. It doesn't matter. You're dead. Like, infinite damage is infinite damage. Your opponent only gaining infinite life, though, is a weird one. Because technically, you'll win if you really, really want to. And I say that because this is actually part of the tips or tricks that we were going to get to in a couple of minutes. But Mistvale planes can save you from ever decking. Yeah. Because all you have to do is every single turn, you just put a card on the bottom of your library and then you draw it for a turn. And then you put a card on the bottom of your library from the graveyard. And as long as things keep going into the graveyard, then it's fine. Yeah. So you'll have plenty of different things that sacrifice themselves. So there's no concern about getting them into the bin in the first place. So yeah, you'll never deck out. So essentially, if they gain infinite life, but have no way to actually kill you, they'll eventually deck out. But you also have to consider, is it actually worth sitting around for the next 45 minutes? And like, if I make a mistake, or they find some way to destroy the Misfail planes, then I'm screwed. You know, you need to sort of just weigh that stuff up. But yeah, on the whole, infinite combos, not good to see for the most part for this deck. Yeah, mm. And then, like we were saying, we do have a couple of tips and tricks on how to play this. There's something that when people see this list, they'll be like, wait a second, where's the Sarah Ascendant? And that's something I feel like I would need to address because Sarah Ascendant is something that you see in nearly every single murder Proc list that's ever existed, actually, to be honest. But I've chosen to go with Speaker of the Heavens instead. The reason for that is twofold. One, they are significantly cheaper and... Two is they still have lifelink. They have vigilance as well, which is strangely relevant because you can attack with it, gain that one bit of life, and then you can just tap it and make an angel. And a 4-4 angel is still very, very good. You know, like I know that Sarah turns into a 6-6 lifelinker and that's great and everything, but one removal spell deals with Sarah Ascendant and then you have to get it back with Loris or whatever. If Speaker of the Heavens sticks around for more than a turn, you're just going to start churning out flyers. You're just going to have so many, like a 4 toughness not dying to lightning bolt? Yeah.
1: Essentially Speaker of the Heavens reads to me when it dies make a 4-4 which is just really good because mm-hmm. it can just replace itself and as you said 4-4 flyers pretty good in modern because mm-hmm. it's that lightning bolt range. They have to dismember it or use a path or a push. They have to use some of their premium removal to deal with it. But yeah, Speaker yeah. of the Heavens is a pretty
0: good show yeah now in an ideal world i would probably suggest sarah ascendant over speaker of the heavens Mm. given no budget and given like the ideal kind of metagame for it and stuff but both are pretty good they have their upsides they have their downsides decide for yourself which one you think is the more suitable one for yourself but yeah when it comes to tips and tricks we do have a couple of others first one is when you're facing thought decks make sure to use ranger of eos to get two of the same creature you play ranger of eos in turn four and you go and get two martyr of sands they then thought to use you the next turn and take your murder of Sands and you can still play murder of Sands. Pretty straightforward, <laughs> you know. Or you can give them like a Sophie's Choice where you go and get like two different things that are incredibly difficult or awkward for them to deal with. And then depending on which one they choose, that'll give you an indication as to what they might have in hand. Mm. Have we got any other tips and tricks there, Emma? Yes.
1: So one that you talked about earlier is Mistfell Planes and how it can just save you from ever losing against Mill just because it just keeps (laughs) shuffling back into your deck. The card is very, very good. It also Mm -hmm. works really well with Squadron Hawk, I hear.
0: Yes, there's a nice little loop with this. So for this trick, make sure to have a Squadron Hawk in your hand, right? It will become evident as to why in a second. But say you block an opponent's creature and your Squadron Hawk dies. You then misfail planes to put it on the bottom of your library. You then play the Squadron Hawk from your hand and go and get the Squadron Hawk from your deck and keep that one in your hand. Now you're back to the very same point, except that you've blocked and you're not down any number of creatures. That costs four mana a turn to do, two to play the Squadron Hawk, and one to pay for the Misfail Plains, and then the Misfail Plains to be tapped. In matchups where that's relevant, where you need to be able to block several times and need multiple blockers, that is very, very good at helping you to grind out and draw until you find, say, like your Day of Judgment or whatever it is that you need. Castle Ardenvale is low-key one of the best cards in the deck. Yeah. it's in the mana base as a one of, and honestly, I've been considering adding a second one because I'm pretty sure we can get down to twelve mm. basic planes, and it's ridiculous against decks that can't remove it. Say like Death Shadow. They have no way of touching a land. They just don't operate on that axis whatsoever. Yeah, it's very, very good. It's really good against control decks and stuff as well. If you sandbag it and be sure to use Field of Ruin to blow up, say, their Field of Ruin, then they won't have anything left to deal with the Castle Ardenvale and you'll just win off of a 1-1 every single turn, which... I mean, for anyone that's played Bitter Blossom, you know how fast an extra point of power per turn is. Like, you know how dangerous that can be.
1: Yes, I'm a big yeah. fan of Castanard and Veil. Vale. Been really tempted to run it as a one-off in Death and Taxes on a random note, just as a fail-safe to push through the last few points of damage. Like surviving like a board wipe, for example, because you have Day Judgments in Martyr mm. proc, so this kind of just negates that. Yeah. Another good tip. Tailoring your toolbox to suit your meta game. So, for example, you'd want Weathered Wayfarer against ramp decks. Hope of Gear like really, really good against combo and prowess, as we mm. talked about earlier. And then you've got Selfless Saviour against lots of removal. Although I'm unsure why Selfless Saviour is in the deck because it has no abilities. Why is this in the deck, Scott?
0: I, I like dogs. I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you definitely can't sacrifice so No, It's real.
1: just a one mana, one one. That's all it is. It's got no <laughs> abilities. So.
0: Yeah. And then, final tip. Wait to play your Lurises or Rangers where possible. The last thing you want to do is to play, say, a Luris on turn three, make no other play, and then your opponent just bolts it. And you're like, well, I got no value for this. So for Lurises, wait until, say, turn four or turn five, when you can have an extra land or two out so that you can actually make some plays with it. Mishra's Bauble is kind of handy for this because you can still get it down on turn three if you need to and recur the Bauble for free. So that's nice. It is important to make sure that you've got the mana to be able to play something off them immediately to actually get the value that you've gone out of your way to generate.
1: I think the last tip just come to my mind a bit as you're mm. a control deck that has fairly slight win conditions because you're just yeah. a bunch of X ones is that you do need to play quickly because the games can drag out. yeah. Imagine you've had that from experience as well.
0: Yeah. I think I've played against Marta Proc a whole one time when it didn't go to turns. So mm. yeah. Definitely play quickly. Like I have the deck built here in paper and I, like I know it's supposed to be a more interactive control deck or whatever, but I just goldfish it to understand the lines and to get quicker at like tutoring up exactly what I need and different scenarios and that kind of thing before I start playing it with friends, say on webcam or or whichever, or if you're able to play in paper safely, wherever you're listening to this, lucky you. (laughs) But you need to be able to do these things quickly because if you can't complete a game in the allotted time, then you're playing the wrong deck, simply. That's how I see it but yeah that is it for Martyrproc. we are going to have okay. our list in the show notes available for patrons with the full breakdown and the list of everything that we've talked about here as well what do you think of the deck if you enjoy this deck do let us know on twitter any little tips or tricks you have yourself if you've played this deck before do let us know
1: Also, it's worth noting that the list that we'll have on our Patreon is a budget list, so it's a really good starting point to get into Marta Proc that you can slowly upgrade into so you can run those Ranger, Captain, Eos, and Sarah Ascendants at some point.
0: Absolutely. This list comes in at just over $100. And like I said, I've built this in paper and I'm really enjoying it myself. If this is the kind of deck that you're interested in, be sure that it's the kind of deck that you're going to enjoy playing. And part of that to take into consideration is what you are going to be playing against. So if you're going to be playing against an awful lot of Storm and Tron and stuff, maybe this isn't the deck for you. But if your opponents have a lot of, say, like slow grindy decks or they play a lot of Burn or there's some Dredge and that kind of thing, then this is a brilliant choice for you. If this is a kind of episode that you enjoy, do let us know as well on Twitter because this is something new that we're going to try out. We're going to try this for a few episodes at least, and if people are enjoying it, we'll continue it.
1: Yeah, and we're happy to take suggestions, so if people want to hear a particular archetype or deck do let us know as well and we can add it to the list
0: yes absolutely right I think we should head on to a little bit of Q&A don't you think
1: yes we've got a couple of questions or I say questions we've got a couple of pointers and Mm -hmm. things like that so Evie the Mage is in touch again who seems to be our weekly sort of stonks guy who tells us what good deals are happening at the moment they say the Zendikar Rising Expeditions, so we're talking about like the Battle Bond Lands and the Fast Lands, they're quite cheap at the moment, especially mm. coming in at non-foil. For example, you've got Dive Shores on average on TCG players under $6, which is really, really cheap given how expensive that cycle is. So if you're after some cheap Fast Lands for modern, this is a really good time. Also, if you're playing Commander and you would like those Battle Bond Lands, um, they're also quite cheap as well due to the new border. So mm. if you're in the market for them, I'd recommend picking them up.
0: Yeah, good shout.
1: And then we have a question from Pavel Villino, who says, Commander Legends has overwhelmed me with choices on new commanders to build. So yeah. much so, I don't really feel inspired to build anything. Am I the only one that struggles with this? Because Commander Legends has so many commanders, you just don't know where to start. I mean, I kind of get it. I've had that myself. There's like so many things I want to build, especially in like poor B D I'm just like, I just don't know where to start because yeah. there's so many cool things you can do.
0: Yeah, I mean... There is a certain level of decision paralysis. I had a problem with it at first, particularly during spoiler season, because we were getting hit with, what, like 10, 12 new commanders a day. And I was like, oh, God, like I have to generate content for this. And like what can happen with creator mindset is that like you look at everything in the form of content. I was excited for Commander Legends to come out. But at the same time, while going, oh, this is really sweet. This is really cool. That's really awesome. I can brew all these things. What also was going through my head straight afterwards was like, oh no, you're going to have to brew all these things. This is content. You're going to have to generate so much, so much work. Oh God. So I definitely get the overwhelming kind of feeling. I 100% get that. But honestly, just pick one at random if you can't decide. But just pick one. Focus on it. Forget all the others actually exist and just do this one. Like I've started to look at Around Me of the Dead Tide because I like Demir stuff. But I was actually playing a game of commander in the Irish Magic Discord yesterday and someone was playing with an Around Me deck and on like turn three or four they cast a solemn simulacrum from the bin with Encore. That was gross. They ramped three lands and drew three cards, and then the following turn they did the same thing with a Worm. That was gross. Correct. The moral of the story is that got me inspired to build stuff because I saw the, the key piece, the commander is the key piece here, and a couple of cards that inspire you to build. You know, like for me, it was as simple as Solemn Simulacrum and reform. And that makes me want to sort of design a deck around this now myself. You can do the same with any of them. Like, all you have to do is just pick one. Like, I suffer from a lot of the decision paralysis. When I look at, like, the list of, I'm looking here, in Commander Legends, there are 117 legendaries. Now, that's not necessarily legendary creatures. I just did a quick search on Scryfall. Over 100, basically. And if someone was like, build a commander deck, I'd be like, uh, I can't. I've too many choices here. You know, I'm the kind of person that when you go to a restaurant and you see that the restaurant is like one of those hipster places where the menu can <laughs> fit onto a business card and it's like you have a choice. Burger cheeseburger or double burger and even that is nearly too many choices for me because i like everything it's the same thing with magic and stuff as well i look at it and i'm like oh, there are too many things that i love you yeah. know i
1: feel like you have to play a game of guess who and then just whittle them down going what color commander do i want to play okay yeah. i whittle out these options this is what's left and just try and narrow it down and the important thing to take away here is yes you've got this decision powerless because there's so much you can do however You have so much time to do this stuff. There is no rush. You can take your time, do whatever. It can be quite intimidating at times.
0: Absolutely, yeah. But that is kind of it. The key is just don't look at every single piece at once. Just look at a couple of pieces. Like, it's easy to pull five choices out of 100 because you don't have that sense of finality of, like, this is the one that I need to do. You've pulled it down to five. You're like, ah, that covers a general approximation of what I want. And then out of the five, it's much easier to pick one, so... Thank you for listening to us here at the BMCast, and a special thanks to our patrons. At the Cheering Fanatic tier, we have Alejandro, Kilgore Trout 503, Max Makes Magic, Odin Egan, Philip Delmot, The Jazz Guy, The Joe Cheney, and Bradley Rose. At the Sunks tier, we have a Nice Planeswalker, Anga Orr, Scott Creech, and Simon Grip. And finally, the fan-favourite tier, we have Aaron Adams. Thank you all for helping to keep this podcast on the air. We cannot thank you enough. If you want to support us, head on over to patreon.com forward slash budgetmagicast. If you have any questions, comments, or sweet brews, you can email us at budgetmagicast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at thebmcast. We'll be back next week to give you even more bang for your buck.